Hello, 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 everybody. I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot. Yep. The grittiest show you could ever imagine about all the reboots that you want to know about. And do you know what we're covering this week, Meredith? I hope I know. Oh, do you hear that creepy, creepy sound hitting in? We are covering The Grudge this week. Juwan and uh, the American 2004 remake, The Grudge. It's about to get super creepy right as it ends. Either that or it sounds like Kaiko's about to burp. I can't really tell which one. Because it, it, they cut it in the movie to creepy point. This one. Say, listen to it. See, like, right as it ends, I feel like she's just about to start burping the alphabet. <laughs> like, that's just how I feel it's going to go at that point. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a great effect. It's a great effect. So... You had never seen Juwan before we started this, right? Yeah, I'd never seen you never seen Juwan, but obviously you had seen The Grudge, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember watching The Grudge for the first time? I always ask that. Yeah. I, know, well, you know, I always forget when we get to the second movie because we're in a rush. So let me, I'll ask you now. Do you remember seeing it? I watched it with you. You did not watch it with me. I did. No, you did not. I remember distinctly watching this movie. Well, who did I watch it with? Probably Jean. No. Yeah. We were together in 2004. Nope. We had just broken up. I watched this movie with my mother. Hmm. Yeah, I watched the movie with my mother. Yeah. I remember watching it with you. No, no, no. We had broken up, but I remember that very distinctly because I thought to myself, you would have liked that movie. And I got to see it in in the theater and I wasn't necessarily enamored with it, but the audience reaction was really a thing of beauty. And that's what I remember about the movie to this day. And it made me like the movie maybe a little bit more than I I might have in any other situation if I'd just seen it on tape or on, on, well, not tape then. It would have been DVD at least at that point. But I I guess there would have been grudge VHS copies. But I just remember like the audience screaming and howling along with it. It really was a wild ride. That crowd was really into it. The only better one would have been The Ring. And that would have been the Euro, which I did see with you. Yeah. Which I did see with you. So I have very fond memories of of seeing the movie. And I don't think I'd really actually checked it out until we did this again. And I was a little surprised because I had seen seen Juwan a little bit before the other movie came out in theaters. And I had seen, obviously, The Grudge probably a bit on cable and stuff like that a couple years after it was released. I've, I've seen all of the movies, sadly. I've seen, because <laughs> they're not all great. Well, some of the later Japanese sequels I, I didn't go back and see. But I've seen the Japanese TV movie. Uh, you can check that out right now on YouTube. There's an edit where they put both movies together. I don't know if you know this, but the second Japanese sequel, to the direct-to-video sequel, has 40 minutes of recap from the first film. Hmm. So you can kind of combine them in one like two-hour movie, basically. And that's what somebody on YouTube did. And I recommend you watch that, because it's quite good, actually. But there are sequels as well as a TV show, and there's a Freddy vs. Jason style spinoff. Mm-hmm. So this, this is a wild and, and pretty wide series, am I right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. All right, we can, go, we can go and cut that. None of us speak Japanese here. Yeah. And should I tell the, have I told this week in the story before we get into me trying to pronounce Japanese names for the rest of this episode? Mm-mm. So when I was in college, I, I met this guy at the dorm and he liked JRPGs, which I realized that I loved JRPGs at that point. I didn't realize it was a name for that kind of game. And he was giving me all these old PS1 games and stuff like that. And I was just eating up and playing them. And he handed me one called Suikoden and I enjoyed it greatly. Fantastic game. 
And I took it back to him and said, hey, man, I really enjoyed Suikoden a lot. And he looked at me and said, oh, you mean Suikoden? Like he said it just like he was about to like Jim Belushi pull out a samurai sword and, and cut fish on the table or something like that. He just went way over the top with a Japanese accent. So I'm going to try to avoid that situation today by keeping all my Japanese pronunciations very casual and very Texan. But sorry, guys, eventually I'm, I'm going to hit like a Japanese accent for no reason. And I apologize to any Japanese listener that I might offend. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, in the year 2002, we got Jew on the Grudge, which is a very strange thing for us to cover. There's a reboot that we're, we're leaving. This is a reboot in itself. Mm-hmm. So as I said before, there is a, a direct... So this is the, the history of The Grudge before we get into anything. So back in 1998, there was a show called Gaku no Kaiden. See, already starting with the Japanese stuff. And Gaku no Kaiden eventually spun off into Gaku no Kaiden G, which was an anthology show full of horror stuff. Mm-hmm. Basically 30-minute episodes here and there. And they had big-time horror, Japanese horror directors come in and make these segments. And then they got Takashi here, and he was able to do two small segments on a show. And he made one called Katsumi, which introduces us to Kaiko. And then he made four, 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 four. That's ten fours. And that was introduced us to Toshido. And these two shows. Toshio, pardon me. Toshio, pardon me. And by the way, the number four is incredibly unlucky in Japan. That's our equivalent to 13. Okay. Basically, yeah. There's a joke about it in Turning Red. Oh, okay. Yeah, she holds up four, so unlucky. And it's the same thing. It's kind of a cursed number. And if you look like, um, I think in the, the later American remake, the, the house is like number 44. For, that's a, a little quick reference to it. But yes, the 10 fours indicate bad luck. And it's the same gag, you know, uh, Toshio, he looks at the kid and all covered in white. And he just meows as the, the final jump scare and Kaiko jumps out at somebody. And, and that, that's all it is. But it got people excited. And he was able to turn this into a direct-to-video film, which gave us Juwan, which um, did quite well on video. It was a huge, huge hit. People rented that nonstop and, and considered it sort of a modern, uh, a modern horror classic at the time. And that eventually allowed Takashi to end up basically making the Japanese remake. And matter of fact, before he even made the Japanese remake of his own movie, he had an opportunity to sell the property to American studios. He turned it down because mm-hmm. he, he, wa- he said, no, I want to make a Japanese movie first. And that was a great idea because eventually he would go on to direct his own remake in America. So I, I did want to get that little bit out of the way and, and mention as well, there are nine Japanese movies here. And there are four American movies. One went direct to video, which I, I don't. Actually, it's not the worst in the series. Uh, <laughs> the, the final theatrical one is the worst in the series, in my opinion. There's a Japanese TV show as well, a couple of mangas, and one terrible Wii video game. All right. Yeah, so th- this is a gigantic property. And with that being said, let's start getting into the grudge. Juwan, pardon me. All right. Well, we start off with shots of the crimes, how Kyoko becomes her, herself. Yeah, yeah, we, we get to see a little tiny flashback, just, 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 shots. yeah, little quick shots of uh, that something bad has basically bad happened. happened. We see, yeah, we see Takeo uh, biting his fingernails, and that's a, that's a lasting image because we'll see that that image come up again in a little bit, and th- that's basically you know how we open the movie. And mm-hmm. It sets up everything, and I believe the Japanese uh, text basically gives us what the American text does in the other mm-hmm. one. When people die in a great rage, they they leave uh, behind a spirit, mm-hmm. and that spirit is Juwon. We go to a welfare center where a girl is handed some paperwork and she's talking to a guy and she's supposed to take care of somebody, an older lady at a house. The, the director at the welfare center can't seem to find the person that was taking care of the older woman. So she's been tasked with that. 
Yes, yes. So she's going to have to go over there and, and find out what's going on. And her name is Rika. Yeah, so Rika ends up sort of being our main character, I suppose. This movie is told a bit out of order, and we kind of go back and forth from storyline to storyline. But uh, we at least get someone to sort of announce what chapter is what. So that is helpful in the movie. Mm -hmm. So, But she is our lead character. She ends up heading this house, and there's some very cool shots coming up to it. I was surprised how much I liked the the cinematography in this movie as opposed to what we get in the American film. And I'll talk about that more later. But there's some really nice low-angle shots of her. And when she looks up at the house, there's a great high-angle shot like from the house, almost like Kaiko's perspective from the window or something. This movie builds a very good amount of dread and terror early on, which I was a bit surprised by because I didn't necessarily remember that. But this movie is not so much about jump scares, which is very surprising to me. It is very much about building tension and dread over 95 plus minutes. Yeah. It's a good ghost story. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the the Japanese culture around ghosts and how the ghosts in Japan more manifest as real objects that you could touch and that are corporeal. American ghosts aren't like that. They're more hands off. Yeah. I enjoy that we have different kinds of spirits and stuff like that from, yeah. from one coast to another. To another. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I did want to mention, technically, Kaiko is a, an Anroyo, and that yeah. is a vengeful Japanese spirit. And there are rules for Anroyos. This movie doesn't necessarily follow them, but it's pretty much what she is. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to make that known that that is the Japanese term for a very vengeful spirit. She goes to the house, but no one's answering. So she walks in. And she kind of makes herself at home. She yeah. notices the place is a mess. Not even disheveled isn't the word for it. Like, yeah. it's, it's torn up. There's, like, there's garbage and, trash and stuff everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, it's nasty in there. She just walks around through the garbage only to find a, a mute old woman. Yeah, her name is, uh, the old woman's name is Miss Sachi. Miss Sachi. Rika sees her and puts her back down and starts about her job of cleaning up the place. Yeah, and she does a good job. She cleans up the lady, and she cleans up the entire house. She does a really good job around that. And things don't get really strange until she heads upstairs, and she sees a taped closet. Before she does that, she finds a pic of the family that was previously in the house, mm -hmm. the dreaded Saki family. Yeah, yeah, Saki family, yeah. Yeah. And obviously, she doesn't know at that point. She just assumes that's the family that lives there. Yeah, it's balled up and wrinkled with the woman in the photo cut completely out. Her, Her face, face is, is cut out, yeah. Gone. She kind of hears some rustling, and she hears it from upstairs. So she goes, uh, and she goes upstairs, and she goes into a room, and she hears some scratching, and she then hears a meow, and sees a closet with tape completely covered all around the closet. Mm -hmm. So already, like, don't open that closet, right? So we already know something kind of strange is yeah. going on at this moment in time. She takes the tape off the door and sees a cat. Then she sees a little boy. I mean, the little boy just comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like she, like, it's a small closet. She scans the, she looks right forward and she scans the right, sees the cat. And when she looks back, the kid's just there. Yeah. And it scares the shit out of her, obviously. But Rika is surprisingly calm about most things. Yeah. Which is what I, I sort of like about how the terror develops in the movie. Like, she's not just like, ah! Like, she is a, a little bit more reserved, I think, yeah. necessarily. I, I mean, yeah, some people are going to scream and shout, but not everyone would. She was very surprised to see a boy there. Yeah, she was. She was, And it's it, like it's something that startles you, but it was a kid. Like, a kid is in a house. That happens sometimes. And the boy looks normal. He's not in his yeah, spirit he's, form. Yeah, he's not covered in, in white paint and just staring at you. He is, however, bandaged. Yeah, he, and he's, he's bruised and like bloody. A, yeah, he's got like a black eye and yeah. a busted lip and... Mm -hmm. He's clearly been abused. Oh, yeah. 
She goes downstairs to make a phone call about the boy, and she hears someone leave a message on the answering machine, and it's one of the relative's sisters. Yeah. Rika tries to talk to Toshio. She gets his name, and his name is Toshio, obviously. She goes to check on Mrs. Sachi and sees the a ghostly black figure of a woman hovering right over her. Yeah, yeah. And th- this scene, th- the way it's shot, I think, is very interesting because... She's trying to tend to the old woman who can clearly see something in the corner of the room mm-hmm. that, that uh, Rika can't quite make out. She's more concerned with the She just thinks she's imagining or having dementia and seeing something. So she's trying to lay her down. And we get the shot of Rika. And it's a close-up as she looks over the woman and sees something. And this expression of slow fear grows on her face. And it holds on that for like two or three seconds. It's a long, long reaction shot. It's the exact opposite of a jump scare. Mm-hmm. And then we get the reverse shot, which is Kayako hovering above her. Mm-hmm. And then of course we get the shot of Kayako, the dark shadow spirit looking right at Rika and her eyes opening. Mm-hmm. And then we move to almost like a flashback. We go to a couple sleeping. The woman hears something in the attic. The next morning, the man leaves for work. This would be the couple or the son and the daughter-in-law of Mrs. Sachi. Yeah. These are people who, who live in the house where a couple days before basically mm-hmm. all these events occur. The woman uh, is going about her day. She ends up taking a nap and is awoken by a noise. She goes to investigate and sees a cat. And then she sees a pair of hands that grabs the cat. Yeah. And this is a legitimate jump scare. And it's fine. I I like it, actually. And it does startle her. And she continues upstairs. I've heard people complain, like, why would she follow it upstairs? Like, because there's a weird kid in her house. She wants to get him out. You don't call the cops when a cat's in your house, right? What's interesting about... Japanese horror and American horror is that American horror tends to rely on a jump scare where Very you much have so. like a sudden noise. In Japanese horror, I've noticed that you don't have that. You have more methodical building of dread. Yeah, type. yeah. And I mean, that can work in an American movie as well. My favorite moment, and obviously we'll talk about that a lot when we do that movie, is The Ring. When Samara or uh, Sadako comes out of the TV That's no jump scare. You see the TV and she's getting closer and closer. And you're like, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And there's no jump scare when she steps out. And if you recall, that scared the living shit out of the theater. Mm -hmm. The second she put her hand on the ground in the real world. And like, that's a perfect example of how Japanese horror builds. Well, it's just like that scene we always talk about in Exorcist 3. Yeah. There's not really a jump scare there. Mm-hmm. It's just pure, like, oh, shit, I wasn't even expecting that. Exactly. It happened. The movie lulls you into a sense of security. You're yeah. not expecting anything, and then it hits you like a ton of bricks. So the woman goes to investigate. She sees a cat. She sees a, a pair of hands grab the cat. She gets, basically, she gets got. Yeah, yeah. She ends up going upstairs, and, and she's... Not killed, but she no. is catatonic the next day. Yeah, time she's her. in a few states. She, she is literally scared beyond her wits. The guy, the husband, comes home from work looking for his wife, Kazumi. That's the name of the, his wife. And he sees his mother is up. By the way, the mother has uh, black hair here. Mm-hmm. Her hair isn't white yet, Mm-mm. which I like that, that she had seen Kayako and her hair turned white. It's a nice little touch that you, it doesn't, it's not spoken about at all, but I just caught it on the rewatch. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good it's touch. It's a good catch. Yeah, it's a good little touch, yeah. He's still, still looking for his wife, Kazumi. She, he finds her in a bedroom. She's lying on a bed, and she's basically in a fugue state. She can't talk. All she does is, uh. uh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she just, she, she doesn't, she doesn't say much. It's kind of weird, actually. In the next movie, she does have dialogue, mm-hmm. which is really odd. 
he gets on the phone and calls for help, but he thinks he sees something out of the corner of his eye. So he puts the phone down and he investigates further. He sees the ghost child, Toshio. Yeah, Toshio pops up and like his reaction is just oh my God. pure confusion yeah. with a little bit of fright. He doesn't understand. These are strange circumstances. He's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. So, and so it's a good reaction from him. Toshio is in his ghost form. Yeah. He's, he's all white. white. Yeah. Yeah. So, and basically he gets taken by the ghosts. This is a, what is a little bit different in this movie. And we don't really get this in the American remake, but he is sort of possessed. Mm-hmm. He's sourced by, by Takeo because he begins biting his nails the same way Takeo did in the very entrance of the film, mm-hmm. the entrance of the film, the intro to the film, my first fucking day. And I, I like that element of it as well, because isn't this where his sister comes in a little bit? Yes. So she comes in and she's immediately like weirded out by her brother. Like, why are you acting like a fucking weirdo? Cause he's down there like biting his fingernails. Just like, she loves somebody else. The boy's probably not even mine. Like he is saying nonsensical yeah. things. He's saying what Takeo would say. And the sister shows up with groceries for dinner because she that's why she called previously as she was setting up dinner. Yeah, she was going to cook something for them, mm-hmm. for the whole family. She hears something and sees her brother on the stairs and he seems just utterly possessed. Yeah, he's got like a thousand yard stare for the most part. And he's just not acting like him. So he doesn't even have a kid and he's talking about his child. That's very strange. So we continue with the sister. She hears a noise. It sounds like someone shredding paper. She gets a call from her brother, but it's just a weird noise. Yeah, so she, she, you know, she does want to help, and her brother, weirdly enough, has enough presence of mind because when you're possessed by, I guess, the grudge spirit, it's not like a hundred percent sort of yeah. thing. You have some ability to be cognizant of where you are, what you do, and he sent her out of there, and she ends up going back home. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't go well, sadly. And here's the thing: like, she's only in the house for what two minutes? Yeah, two minutes, and she gets the death curse. It's got a death curse. You're welcome. <laughs> so in her apartment building. She isn't necessarily like that concerned, right? No. She just thinks it was a weird encounter with her brother. He had a bad day. It's not that strange. And like you said, she goes up to her apartment and she gets a call from him. Yeah. But before that, she, she goes to a a security guard Mm -hmm. and she's running to the security guard and the security guard decides to go check things out because she was attacked in the bathroom by Rio. What's her name? The ghost. Kayako. 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 Yeah. This is where she got the initial phone call from her brother, right? Yes. She's in the bathroom and she gives him a call and just the, the grudge noise, the death rattle is mm-hmm. heard on the phone. And she hears something from the stall right next to her and she falls out. And it, this effect doesn't look so good because just like a hair monster just kind of comes out the door. Mm-hmm. But it's enough to scare her. And if you haven't seen the American remake with the better effects, you know, it, it, it's not great. But she runs out of there and yes, yeah, she does get the guard. She gets the guard. The guard goes checking things out and then he gets got by the ghost. Yeah. And so she sees this on the screen and she runs and gets home. And this is where we come. We have the same elevator gag that we have in the, in the grudge movie yeah. with Toshio on every floor. Yeah. And getting a little bit closer each time. Yeah. She gets a call from her brother. Her brother's right outside. She goes to the door and looks through the people and sees her brother. But when she opens the door, no one is there. You know, she's really not concerned that he was up in like a split second. I know. Yeah. She's not concerned at all. But now in the American remake, she is. Yeah. Katie Strickland is very concerned. Yeah. That somebody is, is like, what, like, huh? What, how'd you get? Are you trying to play a prank? Like she thinks someone's fucking with her. But in, in this one, she opens the door. There's nobody there. And then the phone just gives us the, the death rattle. I'm not going to hit it every time. Guys. The, it gives us a death rattle. And she just drops the phone and, and goes back inside the house she runs to her bed and she sees the tv and it's kayako well here's the thing i'm gonna bring this down a little bit more what i like about this whole sequence is the invasion of safety Mm -hmm. because where do you hide when you're a kid and you're scared 
Yeah, hide under the covers. Mm -hmm. What do you do when you can't get bad thoughts out of your head? You turn on the TV, put on some background noise, Mm -hmm. right? And Kayako takes both of these things away. Or let me just say the grudge spirit, because it's not just her. Like it's it's all three of those people. Actually, it's it's everybody that Kayako kills technically is is part of the grudge, I guess. But that's what I love about it is she's terrified. She's shaking under there. She turns on the TV. It provides no comfort. It's this sense of doom setting in upon her. And it leads to this beautiful moment when she reaches down and she finds her little teddy bear, the one she lost in the bathroom to that mm-hmm. weird monster. And that look of horror on her face, like <gasps> she drops it immediately. Yeah. She lifts up, up the covers and one of the best scares in horror history occurs. Kaiko is right under the sheets, grabs her and drags her into oblivion. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about the grudge. It doesn't. Now some of the American sequels do fuck this up, but it's not like a violent thing necessarily. Kaiko takes you in and just whoosh, whooshes you away. Right. Or just leaves like a corpse. Mm-hmm. And because we see that in the, in the later American. Well, we've seen it in both movies, but it, it's just one of those things like she doesn't really like slash. She's not a slash or anything. Like she just pulls you away and, you know, into the abyss. Now we're back with Rika and she's in a fugue state after her boss comes by to check on her. Yeah. And he finds Mrs. Sachi and she's also dead. Yeah. Miss Sachi does die from the events. Kaiko does kill her. Yeah. Or claim her or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Grudge fire. Mm hmm. And then the police are called and they're at the house investigating. They're looking for the phone. They can't. And so now we've transitioned stories. Yeah. We are in, we're into the police part of, mm-hmm. this, of this movie now. And I like this actually, because we start doing some investigation to what's going on here, which is what would occur if you had a couple of weird deaths at a place in a place where there are already weird deaths. Mm-hmm. This whole segment, I think works, uh, works co- pretty well. Actually. I, I like this whole segment, especially when we get introduced a little bit later to the, the detective who initially investigated the original murders. Yeah. They try to find the phone, and so they hit the little button that ring makes it ring. That's how we used to find cordless phones yeah. back in the day with landlines. You had a little homing button, and you'd hit that so it would ring. And that's how they, they followed upstairs, and they were able to find uh, what's-their-faces upstairs dead. Yeah. And, ju- and just like I said, they're, ju- they're just laid there dead. Kazumi and their husband. And her husband's, like, got her in her arms. Yeah, they're, they're in a, an embrace of, of yeah. some kind. So. I don't know. I've always looked at it as Kaiko knew that they loved each other and put them together in some way. I, I, I don't really know why she would do it, but it, it, to me, it's an interesting little fact about her mm-hmm. that, I mean, she could have done anything with them and she chose to, to have them embrace as lovers. Well, I've always wanted to know why the old woman lives as long as she does in that house. Well, she ain't going nowhere. I guess. Yeah. I mean, well, th- there's no rhyme or reason to why Kayako grabs people when she does other than having a, an alternate plan for them. Yeah. You know, that, that's basically it. But with everybody else, she's just immediately attacks. Sometimes, sometimes, not always, not always. So, like I said, there, it, she doesn't have to have rules or how often she gets you or anything like that. It's just, you know, she just, she's not always in a rush. Sometimes she is. The police come to interview Rika. She's in the hospital. She tells him about the boy Toshio and where he is. And she just naturally assumes it's their kid. Because you would assume that. And the detective basically tells her, like, look, everyone who's ever been in that house, has lived in that house, has died. Yeah, and they're like, that's not their kid. I don't know if it's here or later on that he's like, listen, you couldn't have seen Toshio. Because yeah. even if he was alive, he'd be 15 now. Mm-hmm. He's not a little boy anymore. That was years ago. And I, I like that. I don't know if that's here or later, but the point is like, he's setting her straight. Mm-hmm. Like something very strange happened. She doesn't quite understand it. And neither does the detective, but he knows it doesn't add up and not in a good way. So the story goes five years ago, this guy killed his wife and put her in the attic. He was found down the road and the boy was never found. So Rika is at the station and she admits again to seeing Toshio. But they say it can't be because 
he would be 10 years old. Oh, so yeah, there is right there. So yeah, it wasn't, yeah, he, he would be older. So by the way, I do want to mention, uh, this is just a funny thing. We're not going to cover this movie, but I've seen it. The Grudge 3, they recast that kid with like a 14 year old. Oh, really? And he's enormous. The first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is that teenager doing there? Wow. I was like, you can't find an Asian seven-year-old to play this part? It's just one of the things I wanted to point out about that. And once again, it's not even the worst sequel. But let's, let's continue on. I just wanted to point that funny thing out. The policeman gets the camera footage of uh, Kayako. And he heads, this, is, this the, is where he heads to the house with the gas cans. Yeah, well, th- this is the footage of the sister in the hallway with him. Mm-hmm. Or, pardon me, the, the security guard that she sent basically. And this leads into one of the movie's better scares to where Kaiko walks towards the camera and she looks at this detective, the original detective, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's who we're talking about now. The original detective I, of I, the, I, I forgot his name. the house years ago. Yeah. He was the one who investigated the original murders. I forget what his name is, but he, um, this is, and this scare is copied directly in, in the, the remake as well. And I, I think it, it works pretty well in both. This one, it makes a little bit more sense because this character, it dawns on him what he's looking at. And I love that. Like he knows that is an evil spirit. He knows it's an Unroyo. Unroyo. So he knows he's, he has to do something about it. And that's where he said he brings in the gas cans. Mm-hmm. And this makes a lot more sense here that he understands it. He knows it's killed people. He knows it's going to continue to kill people. It's never going to stop. So he heads over there with the gas cans. And he begins the work, but something happens. He sees something, right? Mm -hmm. He opens a door and on the other side, in the middle of the night, it's daytime and he sees a schoolgirl, but not just any schoolgirl, right? Mm -hmm. It's an older version of the girl we met him with earlier. Yeah. And there's great ambiguity in this term because you don't know if they see each other. You don't know if they can see across time or whatever. We don't find out till the very last segment that she could see him. Yeah. And I love that. He begins his work and he's trying to, to tear everything down. And she starts descending down the stairway. Mm-hmm. Kayako comes down and this, this gag is repeated in almost every version of this movie. It's creepy as fuck. Yeah, where she comes down covered in the plastic, you know, making, uh, making the noise and, and coming down. And this one's different because <laughs> the other two detectives show up and our, our guy who was supposed to be our hero just hauls ass out the door, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck it, I'm out. And the other two detectives are like, what's going on? They look at Kayako and they're immediately scared shitless and fall over. Yeah. And they get caught by the ghost. Yeah. Kayako takes them just right then and there. And then we have a segue to a bunch of schoolgirls. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, right now we have a storyline that will not be repeated in the American remake. No. And this is a shame too, because I think it's the film's strongest story. Yeah. This is the film's strongest story. And they do remake it in the sequel, but they don't do it as well. Also, it it doesn't really work with American schoolgirls. It seems strange. Yeah. yeah just, well, the, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, let's continue on. So th- we are introduced to these three, uh, three schoolgirls. One in particular, Izumi. <clears throat> yes. She looks really scared. She's gripping a pillow and looking all around. Izumi's friends come over, and Izumi is acting crazy to them. And I do mean like crazy. Yeah. Like newspaper on the wall, a newspaper on the windows kind of crazy. Yeah. She is. She doesn't she, want the windows open at all. She, yeah, she doesn't want to be able to see the outside world in the least, even though she leaves a hole there so we can have a jump scare in a little bit. And then Izumi talks, talks to her friends about the girls, the girls that went missing, the three girls. Yeah, yeah. And this is a theme that we see running throughout this film that it isn't necessarily repeated, is that there's a large number of missing people and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the girls um, leave because they're like weirded out. 
by her. Yeah, as they should. I mean, you're running around like a fucking psycho. Yeah, yeah people are going like, to think you're a fucking psycho. what happened to my friend? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They just think she hit some kind of mental break, which is what she would think in this situation. That's the whole point about a good ghost story, in my opinion, is it should drive somebody insane. And then her mother tells the girls that her father acted the same way before he died. Wanting to cover the windows with newspaper, acting erratic. Yeah. So, got that going for you. Yeah, so we know, obviously, even though he did make it out of the house, her father was still eventually killed by the garage or Kayako. Yeah. So, there's, there's no escaping it. There's no escape. Even though there are ways to exercise in Arroyo. Mm-hmm. So, the movie doesn't cover any of those, by the way. And we have a shot of the actual policeman who comes to Izumi in a dream. And it's very, and as very ghost-like. Yeah, yeah. We get the opposite reaction shot, right? From where he was in the house. Mm-hmm. And I do like that, that we get that confirmation that, yeah, she could see him through time. Mm-hmm. Like she, she knew. She knew. She knew. Like, it's, it's sort of a, there's this horror that really sets in when you realize that someone knew their death was imminent, like mm-hmm. it was going to come. There was nothing they could do to stop it. It was going to happen. It's foretold. One of my favorite examples of this, and I know we're talking about movies that aren't the grudge, but Lake Mungo. Yeah. When she, the very spoiler for, I love uh, that movie. Spoiler for a 14 year old film. She has her phone and she sees this entity in the distance. She walks over to it and it is her drowned, dead, face distorted. She bumps into it and you sort of realize like, wow, she knew she was going to die drowning. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a horrible, horrible thing to know. And that's sort of what I like about what the grudge does. I, I ended up liking this film quite a bit. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Azumi sees all the ghosts, the three missing girls included, but unfortunately she gets got by the Kazumi. Kazuki. Yeah, there, there was also a sequence um, earlier with the, the ghost of her friends watching her, mm-hmm. and they kind of chase her in the house a little bit, and it has my favorite gag in the whole movie. I don't think it's supposed to be a gag, but she barricades a sliding door to try to keep the ghosts away. I mean, she's stacking the chairs. I was like, that's not going to keep a person out, much less a ghost. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and they just slide the door open, and I remember chuckling. I was like, I don't know if that's supposed to be funny, but I really thought it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you fucking scared shitless. You got to make do. We're back with Rika, and she's taking care of Mr. Saito, who sees the ghost boy Toshio. And then we get the infamous scene in the shower. Yes, yes, yes. And this, it's a little yeah, this more one's, subtle. This one's done differently than how, once the American remake establishes the fingers come out of the head, mm-hmm. we never go back and do it this way again. Even though I think the TV film does it this way, too. But because yeah, in this movie, she puts her hand on that. Which weirdly makes a lot more sense if you think about it. Because yeah. Kaiko's powers aren't being able to be inside your body. Yeah. So, but whatever. It, it's, it's not that big a deal. Rika's in a restaurant with a friend and she sees the ghost boy and freaks out. And I love this scare. There's, once again, there's no noise, but she's in a public place. She's with her friend. Middle of the day. Middle of the day. She, she hears something. She goes, she picks up the tablecloth. And it's the ghost boy, Toshio, right on her. Yeah, she felt the cat run by her. Yeah. And she's like, huh? And looks down. And, she's, and it's a good scare. It really is. It, it is. knocks her down. It's, it's a great the, scare. the movie doesn't use a lot of music, to be perfectly honest. So these ambient sound effects really add into the film. And she makes a fool of herself by being scared shitless in the middle of this restaurant. Then we get a shot of Rika, who hears cat meow. And she wakes up, and there's a ton of black cats on her bed yeah this is not a horror for some people some people love cats yeah yeah there's some people like oh black cats great you yeah know? when that had been a great twist she's just like oh i've always wanted this and just starts petting them what's funny Catnip. is they're all black yeah and black cats in japan are lucky are they yes the opposite from here mm-hmm. interesting i didn't know that yeah 
Then she wakes up again. So she had a dream within a dream, which is always bad. Anytime that I've ever had a dream within a dream, it's always been a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. The dream within a dream bit. I yeah. always love that, yeah. Yeah. I never had a dream within a dream. You haven't? I never have, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I never had a dream What's within a dream. What's that like? I, 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 was, I assumed at this point they were just a movie cliche. No, I've oh, had them. Okay. Yeah. They're always nightmares. Makes sense. Yeah. Her friend Maruko calls from the house. She mentions earlier she's going to, to for a home visit. Yeah, one of her students hasn't shown up, and, and of course the student is Toshio. Mm-hmm. So she's heading to the cursed house, which Rika is trying desperately to stop her from doing. Yeah, it's the ghost house. Rika tries to run as fast as she can to yeah. her aid. Yes, it's not a grudge movie without a goofy running scene. Yeah. She gets to the house, and she finds Maruko being dragged to the attic. Then she sees Ryugo. Yeah. I can't get her name right. No, it's fine. It's fine. I apologize to the Japanese listeners. <laughs> yeah, listen, hey, we're trying to do the best we can, guys. This is not our forte. No. And then we go to Ryuko. She's coming down that stairs all Kaiko. bloody. Kaiko. Kaiko, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Kaiko is coming down the stairs, and basically, like, Rika's about to, like, run out of the house. Mm-hmm. And she runs by the, the mirror, and she sees that it's not Kaiko in the mirror. It's her. Her all in white as a... As an arroyo. Mm-hmm. And she looks through her fingers and she realizes that she can see everything, all the ghosts and everything through her fingers. And so she looks that way in the mirror and sees this ghost version of herself and is horrified by it. She doesn't understand what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And as the audience, neither do we. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense at all. And she kind of falls down in fear and Takeo comes down. Yeah. Ghost daddy is what I Yeah. Think. Ghost, ghost daddy. Ghost daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds weirdly kinky. Takio comes down the, the stairs and slowly and ominously puts his hand out for her and kills her in that house the same way he killed Kaiko, mm-hmm. making her the new unroyal, making her the new grudge. And she basically saw herself in that mirror. And then we see all the flashbacks throughout this film. None of those kills, except for the very first one that we saw, were Kaiko. All of them were Rika. Yeah. All of them. And this gag is repeated in the second movie again and not done anywhere near as well. But it's a real clever way to end this movie. Yeah. Very clever way to do it. And you realize, like, this grudge curse is far more horrifying than, than you really could have thought. Because now she's just the grudge's bitch. She's going to go out there and do its bidding and kill souls and bring them in. And the movie ends on what are really haunting shots. Something that's sadly not followed up on in any of the sequels. They show the streets of Tokyo and all these missing posters everywhere. Yeah. And the streets deserted. The curse is spreading. And like, that's such a cool idea. And really the, the second movie doesn't really get into that a, a little bit. Actually, once the second movie comes to an ending, I don't think they ever explore anything else in that storyline ever again, mm-hmm. which is a real shame. But I love the way that ends. And I really enjoyed this film. I, I really did. As I, as I went, we watched this after the American remake and it really cleansed my palate. <laughs> so I feel like this is a solid seven or eight. Like, I, I do believe this is a modern horror classic, but uh, if you really like this film, I also do recommend watching the, the direct-to-video version as well. It's almost like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre version of this movie. It's more low-budget, a little more raw, so there's a unique feel to it, and some of the scares are a little bit more pure. He has time to work them out and get them better, and he refines almost too much away in the next movie, but... You know, these two Japanese movies, I think, are, are really solid, and I, and I recommend them. Also, by the way, if you struggle with subtitles, this movie had an excellent dub. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, now, we have to take 
you know, we take notes during the movie and sometimes we have to get up. So it's difficult to do a Ford movie because the second you take your eyes off the screen, you can't follow the plot. Yeah. So we used the dub track on that one, and I was initially upset by it, but there was a high quality to it, so it didn't it really bother really me at all. really well done. Also, the dub had a much better translation than the- The captions. Yeah, because the, the captions were basically very direct, generic versions of like what was being said. Yeah. Like, you know- Like somebody oh. got a dictionary. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I think he's over there. My God, there's something in the corner of the room. That kind of difference. You know, like a little inflection. So that was interesting to me. But yeah, how'd you feel about it at the end of the day? I liked it a little better than the reboot. I did like the reboot and I still like the reboot and I will stand by that movie. I think you're a little harsh on it. Well, I haven't reviewed it yet. Yeah. Well, I, it yet. I know, I know you're, you're pretty down on that movie. Spoilers. Don't give spoilers. Well, because, um, the directors for this and the reboot are similar. They're the same. They're the same, same, same man, guy. Same man. Yeah. yeah. Not similar. <laughs> These two people are very similar. <laughs> same person. <laughs> They're the same guy. There wasn't a whole lot of facts for Juwan. There was a ton of facts for the grudge. That's uh, Takeshi so, Shimizu, by the way. Yeah. As the director. I wanted to mention that. I've, I've said Takeshi a lot, but Takashi, pardon me. There's only one fact that I have for this movie, and it's the house used in the film was not a constructed set, but a real location which had to be rented for film production. It became a tourist attraction, but was eventually demolished in 2019. Probably for good reason, too. Just, just like any house that's used in a movie, it probably got tons of visitors and stuff throughout the year so yeah i also don't have any facts for juan that's that's your department so with that you ready to move to the summer show geller version let's do it the whole time i was in that house i felt something was wrong what happened there So in 2004, we got an American remake, like who said, from the same director. Takashi was able to come back, and he'd done so well. This film was produced by Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert of Evil Dead fame. Yeah. I think that really helped. You know, Raimi was very interested in bringing the original director to do this movie, because I, first of all, this movie doesn't work if you take it out of Japan. It's yeah. just a ghost movie then. However, I will say, putting American actors in all the parts doesn't really work either. <laughs> and it, it, it really, Well, because first of all, Takashi is not, he does not speak English. So that every American actor's performance is lousy in this movie. Mm -hmm. And there's really good actors in this, like Cleo Duvall and Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar gets a couple scenes where she shows a little life and personality, but for the most part, everyone's pretty subdued in this film. From what I understand, the director um, was a fun guy. Like, everybody loved him. Even though he didn't speak any English, he... Everybody seemed to love him. He would go and play pranks on all the actors. He would walk up to behind somebody and do that noise, yeah. the death rattle. Yeah. So he was constantly playing pranks and being fun on set. Well, that, that's a positive thing. I'm, I'm glad that they, they certainly had some fun on the movie. Yeah. And like I said, this isn't a total waste, but it's almost a waste. <laughs> well, we start with... That's uh, a better intro. Yeah, we start with a man on the balcony, and it's Bill Pullman. It's Bill Pullman, the president from Independence Day himself. He gets out of bed from his wife, walks over the balcony, gives her a little smile, and she's like, hey. She just kind of looks at him. And, then and she, he says to her, you're up early. Yeah. And then goes right over the edge. Yeah. And his name is Peter. Yeah, Peter goes right over the edge and kills himself. And by the way, fun fact, he jumped from the sixth floor, and you have only an 80% chance of death from falling from the sixth floor. Really? Yeah, yeah. I looked that up because I was wondering. I was like, well, the odds he might survive that fall. 
And I looked it up. I was like, oh, a lot higher. And apparently that's a thing. Yeah, people jump from the third floor a lot and end up like paraquadriplegics. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a thing. A lot of, that happens with a lot of suicide victims. They jump out too, from too low a window and just ruin their bodies. Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, brutal. It, yeah, because yeah, you jump from the third floor, you got a 40% chance to die. We start off with a young girl riding her bike, and it's, uh, I can't remember her name. Yoko? Yoko. Yoko. That's perfect. Yeah, Yoko. Yeah. Yoko is riding her bike, and she's going to take care of an elderly woman from America who's moved to Japan with her son and daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Very similar how in, in, mm-hmm. very similar setup from the original film. She goes into the house, and she puts her, the elderly woman down. And picks up around the house because, once again, it's a mess. Yeah, just like the previous movie, the house is a complete mess and she cleans up the old lady. Because she's peed through her bedding. Yeah. She hears something. Maybe in the attic? She goes to the opening to the attic with a lighter and pokes her head through. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Yoko has never seen a horror movie, so she goes right towards the scary sound. And this is done better in the other movie because it's a little more realistic. Because I don't think anybody would ever put their head into a dark, dank attic for no particular reason. Yeah, but a lot of American horror light relies on that trope a lot. Yeah, that's that's true, but that doesn't make it good. They just say this is an inferior scare than what's in there. She goes up there, she clicks the lighter on, and she sees Kayako behind her. And I think Kayako it's a great scare. I don't. I don't think it's a bad scare. I just. I just think it's not as good as it could be, just from little things like that. I love that scare. It scared the shit out of me when I saw it the first time. Yeah, I think that that got a great reaction in the theater. It really did. Well, she moves from left to right, and then eventually, you can and you can see uh, the person that plays Kayako. Yeah. She's getting ready. She's getting in the ready position. <laughs> yeah, you, shadows yeah, yeah, you can see it. Yeah, yeah, you really can. Yeah. She's moved around. Then she sees the ghost and she gets got by her. Yeah, yeah. She's taken very quickly and you can see her legs shaking from the, the floor and she pulls her up all the way through. Now we're with Sarah Michelle Geller, who plays Karen in this movie and she's with her man. Uh, Jason Bear, by the way. He was the second lead on Roswell? Yeah, he was also in Final Destination. Was he? I think so, yeah. I don't remember that. I think he's the one that... Not the jock in the first movie. No, he's like the... Kurt Smith. No, he's like the um, fuck up, basically, in the movie. I'm trying to think of the one that he's Wasn't in. Wasn't that Stifler? No. What, do you know which one he's in? Um. Here, I'm just going to click Jason Barron and see if he has a Final Destination movie. Maybe I'm confusing him. Yeah, because he does the grudge and he does... Pleasantville. He has no, yeah, there's no Final Destination movie on his, uh, on his role. Okay. Karen's boss in the movie is Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi, the great Ted Raimi. Obviously, he got a part in this because his brother was producing, but it's always good to see Ted Raimi in a movie. Yoko is missing, so Karen is, is basically tasked to pick up, take care of the old woman. Yeah. Oddly enough, we have the same setup happen a second time. <laughs> Karen yep. has to go over there, and the house is still a mess. You have to clean up the old lady. We do the same bit again. Yep, basically. Yeah. A uh, woman, old lady pees through her bedding. She goes to clean it up. She goes upstairs, sees a room in, in, with a closet that is all taped up. So we have the same gag. She hears a cat making a noise. She takes the tape off and finds a boy with a cat. The boy is covered in bandages, so he's not in his... And once again, not ghost in ghost form. form. Yeah, so yeah. Karen is unable to realize something is, is strange in the house. She just thinks there's a, a boy from the family that's hiding up there and he's hurt. She also finds a journal, and it's got pictures of Peter in it. It does, yeah. But she doesn't know what that means yet. Mm-mm, no, she doesn't. She also finds a picture of a Japanese family with the mother's face cut out. So similar to the first movie. Yeah, yeah. And th- this, this sets up everything that we need, everything she knows about the family because she's a lot more active on the investigation this time. 
She t- tries to talk to the boy. She thinks she sees a figure in the old woman's room. She goes in and finds the old woman talking to somebody. Yeah, and this is a change here. Is the old woman actually can speak. Uh, mm-hmm. She says a few things to the ghost, and when Karen asks her about it, she plays the pronoun game. Like, she won't leave. She just wants to be left alone. Yeah, and by the way, Sarah Michelle Gellar does not engage her. She doesn't ask who or anything like that. She's like, yeah, whatever, just lay down, lady. And then the ghost makes her presence known. Yeah, just like in the last movie, the ghost, the effect looks much better in this movie. We now jump around again, just like we did in the original movie. Mm-hmm. We go to the American family that moved into the house previously. The real estate agent is showing him the house, and he gets a little ghost jump himself when he spots water in a tub. He goes to try to drain it, and the ghost boy Toshio shows Yeah, up. yeah. Just a real quick, simple scare. Uh, comes up and frightens him. He pulls out a handful of hair. Mm-hmm. He's utterly terrified. And as you think this is obviously costing the house, the family comes in and goes, we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> to <laughs> the I, relief of yeah. the agent. He's like, oh, crap. He's, <laughs> he's like, don't mind the fucking dump I just took in my pants yeah. out of fear. <laughs> Clea Duvall is in this movie, which I love. Yeah, I love Clea Duvall as well. She, she also is in... While her husband is at work, she takes care of the old woman. So we get a little bit of fish out of water stuff here. And there's a nice little scene I like where Clea Duvall's character goes to a grocery store and she can't make heads or tails of anything there. And she just grabs like a ramen bowl and pokes it so she can sniff what's inside of it to know what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's a great moment about being, you know, in, in a country where you don't really know the language and things are just a little strange there. Yeah. And that is literally the only thing that I like. From adding Western actors into this movie. That's the one thing that I like. The one thing that they did superior than the other film. Mm. With the American actors. Or Western actors. I think Clay Duvall's Canadian. She complains about her mother-in-law. When she's home alone, she's awoken by something. And it's the same setup as we had in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Toshio apparently knocks over the ramen and spills the water all across the floor and is able to make perfect wet footprints across the, uh, the house. So she's just like, what the hell is that? She thinks it's the old woman. She's like, if you wanted something, you should have just asked. Yeah. She hears a cat and sees it go up the stairs, but she also sees a pair of hands. Yeah. And this time this gag is accompanied by a giant sound effect. So the movie's Americanized. Mm -hmm. She goes in to investigate and sees a figure run into a bedroom. She goes in and the husband comes home to find the house trashed. Just like the last movie. Yeah, and I mean trash, like once again. Apparently that's just like Kayako's just grabbing a bag of trash and just dumping it around the house before she goes back upstairs. (laughs) I think it's the boy. You think it's the boy? Yeah, I've always thought it was Toshio. Yeah, maybe so. It doesn't really matter. (laughs) It's just a cliche of the movie. He's looking for his wife, and he finds her in a bedroom, and she's staring straight up at the ceiling, and she can't talk. Same thing, catatonic, staring up at at the sky. But uh, the scares, once again, this scene plays out almost exactly like Mm -hmm. the, the other one did. This actor, he's a little bit more over the top with how scared he is. He's terrified of, of Toshio. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a different flavor, a different version of it. I think it's fine. Just not as good as what I liked in the other movie. Because I think Toshio comes down with, I think, an inferior sort of scare than what was in the other film. We're back to... To, to me, it's more interesting that he got possessed in the last movie than just yeah. taken. But yeah. that's neither here nor there. We're back to present day. Ted Raimi comes to check on Karen because she hasn't shown up. And he finds the old woman dead and Karen in a fugue state. Yeah. So he calls police. Yeah. Police are called. They talk about the missing family member and Yoko. Yeah. The police go to locate the phone. They, the same gag. They find it in a closet. They go to the, into the attic and find the Americans, Clea Duval and her husband, as well as a several, a severed jaw. 
Yeah, they have a, a loving embrace again, and there's a, it's a little bit more intricate. Like they they spend more time going up the stairs, which I found interesting. But yeah, that is the extra part of the gags. They do find the jaw. The jaw, by the way, once again, uh, Takashi. As much as I do like his ability to build a scare, he does love to recycle things. That jaw gag is in one of the directed video film. Mm. Yeah, but there is nothing in these two American movies that he didn't take from himself. Now we jump to the sister character who is played by Katie Strickland. Yeah, KD Strickland, by the way. Um, fun fact, even though they do not have a scene together, she met Jason Bear on this movie, and they're married to this day. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not know that. I did Aww. not know that, yeah. Then I uh, I clicked on Katie Strickland because she was in Fever Pitch, where I actually liked her there, and I was like, did she ever do anything after that? And the answer is not really. And then when I did, like, oh, she's married to Jason Bear, and I clicked on, like, they met on the grudge. How cool is that? Yeah. So it worked out for this, but yeah, there you go. I was the most excited I'm in about this movie. You're so harsh on it. I just, I mean, I don't think it's very good. You know how I feel about American remakes that aren't as good as the original. Don't bother with them. Throw them out. I still think that this remake is grittier. No. The scares are better. Um, some of them are. Well, um, to me, they are. Some, some of They're them are. They're more superior. Some, some of them are. Yeah. So sometimes the effects are better. I think, well, we'll get to when we get there. Let, let, let's go. Let's keep going down the movie before I start getting ahead of myself and bashing it. She goes into the stairwell and gets a call from her brother, Matthew. But it's not her brother. It's the ghost. And it's the same gag. So we mentioned it earlier. She's actually, she thinks he's playing a prank on her. And same thing. Comes out. Nobody there. She drops the phone. Oh, you know. No, she's in the stairwell. Oh, we haven't gotten to that yet? Yeah, we haven't gotten Okay, that. I'm starting to get him myself. The lights start going out in the stairwell and she sees something coming towards her. It's a, it's a pretty good scare. I like it. It's the yeah, yeah, this is well done, I think. Yeah. This, this is a better version of what's in the other movie. This is one thing where the budget really helped. She's got a uh, rabbit's foot on her keychain. Very American. And uh, she ends up getting out of the stairwell. And right before she does, Kayoko grabs this. And she has a big head start on Kayoko. Yeah. Kayoko is way down there. So when she makes it out of the way and she's about to get out of the doorway, she's pulled back and she turns and Kayoko is right on the door grabbing the rabbit's mm-hmm. foot. And she shuts the door and, and runs over to security. And it's a fun little sequence with the security guard. Because she's trying to speak bad Japanese, he's trying to speak bad English. Yeah. And I, and I like that. He's like, sit, sit down, sit down. <laughs> like, he's like, I'll, I'll go look at it. And we have a better version of the gag, just simply due to effects. I think the shadow effect looks a lot stronger here. Yeah, the security guard goes to investigate. He gets got by the... I think it's debatable if he gets got. Yeah, I guess we never see him again, though. Yeah, because I... Well, I, there's a debate among fans if you can get the grudge curse from interacting with someone who's been cursed. And some of the later sequels hint at that, but I don't care about the later sequels. But this is the only time in these early movies where that's hinted at. And so I think that's a little interesting. But as it sits right now, if we were doing a kill count like Dead Meat, I, I wouldn't put him on the list because I don't think he's killed by Kaiko because he's not cursed by the house. She does the same thing as the first movie. She runs out of the building, heads straight home and starts to try to relax at home. She gets a call from her brother. We get the elevator gag again. Yeah. Which is literally the exact same. It's yeah. neither better or worse. It's the same thing. <laughs> her brother Matthew calls and says he's outside. She goes and sees no one there. Yeah, and she's, she's pissed off about it. She thinks it's a gag until she hears the, the death rattle through the phone. And she drops it, and the death rattle continues when the battery comes out of the phone. Yeah, and she does the same thing as the first movie. She heads to bed and pulls the covers up. The ghost woman is in the bed with her. Which is scary shit. Yeah, and this is one of the scares I don't think it's done as well. Because it doesn't put the TV on. And to me, that was an excellent part of the dread building. And this, this scare doesn't have time for it. It's rushing through it. So we just get to the heart of it. And because of it, it's just not as good. It's a nice moment, but it's not as good as it was in the original movie with the buildup. We now jump to Karen being interviewed by the police. Yes. 
They talk about the past family living there. Some stuff happens with Karen and her man on a bus. There's a bad jump scare on this bus, right? Yeah. They, they see Kayako in the window. Mm-hmm. It is a shitty jump scare, but it was effective in the theater, so I will say that. Then we go to one of my favorite scares in all of horror movies. We go to Yoko showing back up, and Ted Raimi's like, hey, Yoko, where have you been? Yeah. And she's not saying anything, and she's shuffling, and she's got her head down. And he goes down after she passes him as she's going downstairs, yeah. and he slips on her blood. And it's, first of all, he doesn't just He's slip like, on the blood. The he looks at the blood and like, huh, and puts his whole fucking hand in the blood pile, brings it up, blood. <laughs> I was like, I, I think you didn't need to put your hand in that, man. You're going to need to wash up. Yeah. Yeah, so, so he, he, he sees. to see what's wrong with her. And it's Yoko, and she turns around, and her jaw's missing, and her tongue just flops oh. out and moves around. It's so f- fucking scary. It's so good. It's I it's a it. it's a good effect. It's a good effect. And this this gag is in, done in the in the um, direct to video movie, and the effect in it is pretty cheesy because it's just a bad like they cut out her mouth and like almost animated, like hand drawn animated. Mm-hmm. It's it's not quite as good, but hey, they had to make it work on a on a twenty thousand dollar budget. I get it. And this looks pretty good. This is a great prosthetic effect. The the scare builds more laughs than tension, I think, is my biggest issue with it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it, it, it's. I don't think it's bad or anything like that, but it's never been one of my favorites in the movie. Especially today, I had a chance to watch that original Japanese one, and they build a ton of tension before they get to that moment. And that's the thing. This movie is almost kind of rushing through its scares a little bit. And I think had they had an opportunity to take a little bit more time... They could have refined that a bit more, but I, I do like the way the, the effect looks. And this is also one of my favorite parodies and uh, a really lousy parody, Scary Movie 5, I think, because they show a woman, oh my God, her jaw's missing. And it's her, the same gag, like her drinking coffee, just like using her tongue to lick the coffee as it's coming down her mouth. It's literally the only joke I like in, in Scary Movie 5. And I didn't grab a clip of it, but Scary Movie 5 also has an incredibly racist joke about this movie. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Like basically Anna Faris's characters in the house and she sees the parody Toshio and they literally just say Japanese sounding words like to Nissan, each other. Toshiba. Yeah. Nissan, Honda, Toshi- Toshiba. Like, and that that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. I saw that scary movie in the theater with a friend of mine who was Asian and I don't think I've ever heard him groan harder in my life than yeah, I did at I can that imagine. Moment. Yeah. That, that, I just wanted to mention that there because it's a parody of this. And we're never going to break it. We're never going to review the scary movie movies, ever. The police officer is reviewing the tape from the sister and the woman. Kayuko shows up on the film, and he's disturbed by what he sees. This is the same gag, except this actor has no fucking reaction to what's going on. Yeah. So this scare is completely wasted. Completely wasted. He just stares at the fucking screen. His eyes get a little bit bigger. I'm like, homie, give me a little something. Yeah. And he, just, I mean, I guess they just found the first Japanese actor who spoke good English. I, I don't really know. But he doesn't do a, a great job here, and it, and it really does limit this scare. And the impact of it from the original film is gone because this detective doesn't have the same backstory the other one did. Yeah. And that's the thing. This movie swaps in a lot of scares without doing the homework first. And that's one of the issues in this one. So I agree with that. Yeah. Because it, when you see how it built in the first movie, you yeah. see why it's there. This one, they just wanted to repeat again. <laughs> that's it. They just wanted to. So. It's the same director, so he's trying. Yeah, well, he didn't write the script. Oh. Yeah, he didn't write the script. I mean, he wrote a draft and someone Americanized it for him. Karen goes to visit Peter's wife. She looks at his picture and notices that there's this woman in the background of 
all the pictures. Yeah. And first of all, she, his wife has no concept that there is anything really going on. Right. Mm-mm. So we obviously know that none of the detectives ever followed up on this. Yeah. And you'd have followed up on that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of, a, of an odd thing about it that they, uh, they never, ever linked those two cases together. Just a strange thing that I sort of noticed that another aspect of the movie that doesn't hold up to logic or scrutiny from the changes. Now we're with Peter, and he's talking to a colleague about all these letters he's been getting. Yeah, this storyline's shit, but it's... Um, I like it because I like the flashback scene. No, the flashback, another flashback? No, thanks. But I, I just don't think this adds to any... I think just, like, the movie has some momentum, and it just slows down for this segment. I like it because it shows what happened and how. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is that, but I mean... Uh, well, 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 let's let's go through the scene. Let's go through the scene. He goes to the house to try to visit with the person that, from the letters. He goes in and he finds a messy house. He doesn't. He doesn't write a letter. He doesn't make a phone call. He just barges into this house. Yeah. You know, because which, he he has to go there so they can repeat gags from the direct-to-video movie. Which it could be American thing too. I mean, well, it's a stupid thing, is what it is. I think you would you would try to write a letter to put somebody down easily, as opposed to just going over there and trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. I, I don't know. It does. It doesn't necessarily. It doesn't hold water, but they have to do it so he can go there so Toshio can look from behind him out of focus and make the cat make a cat meow. Yeah. Because that's in the direct video movie. Now we're back with Karen and the detective. He says everything that the house touches is dead, so he's not very encouraging. So, yeah, because we don't have the lead detective from the first case, as in the original film. Yeah, because they all died. Yeah, well, he just dies off screen in this one when we never meet him. Sarah Michelle Geller has to do this research. And this is, well, I mean, this is just an inferior version of the way to tell this story. Like, this detective just is on the roof of this building monologuing about, you know, how the curse works, how it can happen. In case you were unclear about the story at this point, he's just going to explain everything to you. Mm -hmm. And it's a clunky scene. You wish they had taken the time to write this a little bit better, but they didn't have time for that. So we just get this dialogue exposition dumped on us. And then Sir Michelle Geller has to carry out a large chunk of the investigation and research. We go to the detective, and he's headed to the house with gas can. Yeah, he, he's going to do the same bit, even though he doesn't have a real personal connection to the house. Yes, he did go inside the house, but, you know, once again, he doesn't have that connection of realizing how it all works. He just kind of realizes it because the plot needs him to. And he gets got. Yeah, he gets taken out, but like a fucking idiot. And this is so stupid. He walks in the house, ready to kill it. He's aware of what's in the house, right? He just literally explained it to us. Yeah. So there's a weird noise in the house. Do I, A, go check it out, or B, burn this motherfucker to the ground? Yeah. No, he walks over there. What could it be? Oh my God, there's a child in here. And he gets drowned in the tub like a fucking moron. Yeah. This scene is stupid. I agree. Yeah, this is a, this was a very cool sequence of the original and it's wasted here. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that front. Everything almost with that Japanese police department, all that's inferior in this film. Karen's man finds all her research and goes looking for her at the house. Sure, why not, right? <laughs> oh, the house kills people. Well, I better go check it out. Once again, we have another character doing something fucking stupid just so we can get to the finale. Now we have the scene where Karen is in the house and we have a flashback. So, And she gets to watch the events led to, which led to the gross. So because Karen's our lead character, she has to get a flashback shown to her for absolutely no reason. This is not one of Kaiko's powers or anything like that. She just has to see this flashback from another character's perspective. It's just a way of sh- showing what happened in the house. Yeah, I know, but it, it's, it's lazy. 
It's lazy. It's bad screenwriting. Like there's a lot of ways you can reveal everything that happened. And I think just having a flashback revealed to the character because she walked into a ghost house, it's pretty flimsy. And I think that's one of the things that helps this finale just doesn't help this finale. It just falls apart for me. I disagree. I like the scene. I, I mean, I think the way it's done is fine. Also, the best shot of it, they cut out to be PG-13 in the director's cut, which has a few extra bloody changes in it. But Takeo does snap her neck. And I mean, like you actually see the snap and she comes down and she makes the noise. And so you actually see where that comes from. And you don't in the theatrical cut, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, you don't see her on the ground uh, making that the grudge noise. The death rattle, which I, I think is super cool. And I feel bad they cut that just for PG-13. We're back at the present and Karen can't save her man because the ghost woman comes downstairs. He's catatonic. In a creepy way. Yeah. And like sucks the life out of the poor guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just he like he looks over at her one last time and is covered by the hair and like that's it. Mm-hmm. Karen kicks the gas can down and tries to light the gas with the lighter. But Kayuko stops her. Yeah, she goes over to embrace her boyfriend as he, as he's dead and she's kicked over the gas can. She pulls a lighter. I was probably, she goes to throw it. Kaiko has transformed into her boyfriend and grabs her hand to stop her. And then Kaiko just looks at her. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't do anything. Just looks at her. And then she just tosses the, the lighter into the flames and there is no possible escape, right? She is literally surrounded by flames, correct? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter Mm-mm. because Kaiko climbs up to her. It leaves to nothing because in the next scene, we have Karen in the loony bin. Yeah, Karen's perfectly fine. Not a singe on her. The house is fine. Everything's okay. It ends with a, one last scare. Yeah, it ends with one more jump scare. Yeah. She goes to identify her boyfriend. Long hair comes out. He's all grudgified. She freaks out and Kayako's standing behind her and we end the movie on a pretty lame jump scare. I have. Do you have any more comments? Do you want to bash this movie anymore, Mr. Sourpuss? I, I, well, I mean, I just, I just don't like an inferior remake. And if you're going to watch a movie, watch, watch the other one. This is a four out of 10 for me. I think Juan, I give a six out of 10. I didn't think it was very scary. For this movie, I would say it's about a six out of 10. About the same? Yeah. Yeah, I can see people thinking that too. I would say the original is just a tad bit better with its storytelling. Before filming, the cast and crew went through a ceremony where they blessed everything so that nothing bad could happen to them while filming. The character of Toshio is almost always found with his cat. In real life, the boy who plays Toshio, Yu Yu Ozeki, was terrified of cats. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. That must have yeah. sucked for him to yeah. have to deal with that cat all the time. Terrified of him. Yeah, because their souls are linked forever in the afterlife, apparently. Yu Yu Ozeki, Takako Fuji, and Takashi Matsuyama all appeared in Juon, The Grudge 2002, and Juon, The Grudge 2003. The Japanese films upon which the film is based all reprising their roles as the doomed Saki family. Mm. So they, they've carried over. Yeah, I'm about to say, the, I know the actress who plays Kayako, she's not replaced until the third American film. Same thing with, well, Toshio's replaced a couple times. Well, he's a kid. He can, he, has, he can age out of the part, so. The snapping and popping sounds that accompany the appearance of Kayako Saki were made with a hair comb. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the director did that with his voice. While filming the infamous shower scene, Sarah Michelle Gellar discovered she was allergic to Japanese water. How the fuck does that work? I've read this story too. And I've heard her talk about being allergic to Japanese water. I was like, you were in Japan shooting the movie. You had to drink something. You would have taken baths before that shower. You would have figured something out. I don't know. This story didn't make any sense to me the first time I heard it. It caused her skin to itch. So as it properly filmed the scene safely, 
Gela was dressed in black hefty garbage bags from the waist down and a little tube top. The hell's a tube top doing to stop the water? No, no, Pedro. <laughs> I don't have the answers for you. Jesus Christ. Kayoko's signature croak comes from the fact that her husband Taco, Ta- Takeo, had snapped her neck but hadn't killed her, and she's trying to breathe through a broken windpipe. Yeah, yeah. Her stumbles also come from the fact that her ankle broke as she was trying to run away from her husband. She's covered in blood because he slashed her repeatedly with, with a box knife. cutter. Yeah, utility knife, same difference. Toshio's spirit is often heard meowing throughout the film. Not only does this imply that the spirit is, is uh, merged merged with his deceased cat, Mar, but it also relates to an old Japanese legend where the damned spirits of lost children become strays and as adults produce cat's meow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, always sim- I thought it was because they were both drowned in the same tub. Yeah. That's why I thought that their spirits were connected. That's what everybody thinks. Okay, good to know. The type of ghost that Kayako and Toshio are is based on Japanese legend of the Unroyo, a vengeful spirit that can actually manifest itself to attack and kill victims. And we'll talk about this more when we cover the ring. You, you talked about. Yeah. This film held the record for highest grossing opening weekend for a horror remake in history with a $39 million gross. Yeah, just below $40 million. This uh, And I, I do want to mention that right now. I know I have bashed the movie, but this movie did really, really well at the box office. Yeah. This was made on a $10 million budget, very low budget film. I'm sure for Takashi, it felt like he was making bad yeah. movies too, but you know, with that kind of money, but it grosses just under 200 million, 187 million in America. It's pretty good. Yeah. That's a, a great turn on profit. And that's why the a sequel was greenlit and fast tracked. Yeah. And two years later, we'd get the grudge too. Now we go to reviews. Juwan got an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6.7 on IMDb. The Grudge got a 3.7 user review, Holy 40% shit. on Rotten Tomatoes, and 5.9 on IMDb. So it, it did get reviewed worse. Yeah, yeah, critics did really savage this film quite a bit, actually. I remember at the time it, it got really, and I don't, I don't think it's, I mean, I didn't like the movie, but I don't think it's that bad, but. All right. I chose a one-star review for Juon since it was good, a good movie. And here we go. This was a story of a ghost who at one time was a wife who became a social worker and, okay, I really don't know what this movie was about because they never tell you why anything is happening. Apparently, the wife cheated and her husband killed her. Anyway, he didn't think the kid was his. Was there a DNA result? Who knows? (laughs) The old woman who lived in the haunted house stays alive when everyone else is dying. Why? My question as well. The social worker who gets sent by her coworkers to check out the house become the last victim, or the first, depending on how you see it. The bodies of the security guard and the cops disappear too. The pictures of the girls who have disappeared have blacked out eyes when the pictures were taken before they disappeared. Does the ghost have access to one hour photo? The cat. It is a ghost too, right? As you can tell, I have never gotten into the haunted house thing anyway, but this movie was really bad and couldn't tell you how it could have been better. Why? Because it wasn't a good plot and it wasn't that scary. If the ghost was that of a cheating wife, why did, she, why did she have to kill? At least in The Ring, which this movie is compared to, the yeah. kid was evil, and that's why the mother pushes her down the well. The oh, end. Yeah. Well, well, in, in Ringu, she certainly is evil. I don't know if Samara's evil in the, the American remake. Her character's a little bit more ambiguous. I think she's evil. Sadako. Sadako's evil. And Sadako kills and likes to. That's different. Samara, mm, I don't know if Samara's aware of what she can do. 
Like, I think she knows some of it, but I don't, I don't think she is necessarily an evil entity. We don't know enough about her, in all honesty, and we never get to find out. All right. For The Grudge, I chose a 10-star review. Okay. This, this guy thinks this is one of the scariest films he's ever seen. A lot of people do feel that way about it. I have The Grudge on DVD and watched it again this morning with surround sound and a widescreen TV. It scared me just as much as the first time I ever saw it. Unrelenting in its content and editing, they show you a quick glimpse of something with musical sounds added for extra scare value. I spoke with a young man who is half Japanese, and he tells me that yes, this belief is common and true in Japan. They believe that when a person dies a violent death, the essence of the crime remains and builds it until anyone who becomes involved in any way, shape, or form is affected by it. I've seen many films over the years, but none can compare to the horror in this. What made it more terrifying is that it took place in Tokyo, Japan, a most unlikely place for a haunted house movie. There were no silly gimmicks, no laugh breaks to keys attention, just horror upon horror building a chilling climax. I suggest if you've never seen this movie, by all means do so today, or preferably tonight. Wow, he was really all about it. Yeah. Ten star review. Yeah, he loved it. He loved it. Good for him. I'm glad he found something to love in this movie. Yeah. Oh, this was um, a long journey. We're, we're going to continue the journey next week because we have... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. In the year 2004, Roger Reed was very much alive. And of course, he did review The Grudge. Meredith, do you think he liked The Grudge? No. No, he did not like this fucking movie. I actually had a chance earlier to watch Roger Ebert, Ebert and Roper's Worst of 2004, and this movie was number six on Ebert's list. I think you're just trying to be like him. And uh, <laughs> and uh, Roper, by the way, had Saw at seven, and they told they told each other both movies were interchangeable. That's terrible. And, you know, that's whatever. By the way, do you know what the worst was on Ebert's list? No. It was Alexander and Troy as a, a tie. A rare time he's ever done that. Alexander is awful. Troy, I like. Alexander needs to be rediscovered as Brilliant Camp. It's awful movie, Pedro. It's like Showgirls. It's an awful movie. So is Showgirls. Showgirls is entertaining. I think Alexander needs to be rediscovered in that way. That movie is wild, over-the-top zaniness. You have lost your damn mind. Seriously, I'm telling you, people need to check out Alexander because it is a wild, campy affair. There's nothing good in it, and it's what makes it golden. No. Yeah, and also Rosario Dawson. I'm not watching that movie. I'm just saying, it's worth your time. So what did old Ebert have to say? Ebert says, The Grudge has a great opening scene. I'll grant you that. Bill Pullman wakes up next to his wife, greets the day from the balcony of their bedroom, and then, well, I, for one, was gobsmacked. I'm not sure how this scene fits into the rest of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. But then I'm not sure how most of the scenes fit into the movie. I do, however, understand the underlying premise. There is a haunted house. Everyone who enters will have unspeakable things happen to them. These are not just any old unspeakable things. They originally followed the age-old formula of horror movies, in which characters who hear alarming sounds go to investigate, unwisely sticking their heads, hands, body parts into places where they quickly become forensic evidence. Something attacks them in a shot so brief and murky, it could be a fearsome beast, a savage ghost, or, of course, only a cat. The movie is set in Japan, but starring mostly American actors, and this has been remade by Takashi Shimizu from his original Japanese version. It loses intriguing opportunities to contrast American and Japanese cultures, alas, by allowing everyone to speak English. I was hoping it would exploit its locations and become lost, eviscerated, and devoured in translation. Yeah, that would have been cool. An opening title informs us that when an event causes a violent rage, a curse is born that inhabits that place. 
and it is visited on others who come there. We are eventually given a murky, black-and-white, tilt-shot flashback glimpse of the original violent rage, during which we can indistinctly spot some of the presences who haunt the house, including a small child with a big mouth and a cat-like scream. The house shelters, at various times, the mother of one of the characters, who spends most of her time in bed, staring vacantly into space. A young couple who moves in, and an estate agent who sees that bathtub is filled up, sticks his hand into the water to pull the plug, and is attacked by a woman with long hair who leaps out of the water. This woman's hair, which sometimes looks like seaweed, appears in many scenes, hanging down to the frame, as if it dreams of becoming a boom mic. (laughs) Various cops and social workers enter the house. Some never emerge, but the news of its malevolence doesn't get around. You think that after a house has been associated with gruesome calamities on a daily basis, the neighbors could at least post an old-timer outside to opine that some mighty strange things have been happening in there. It's got a death curse! They needed one of those? They needed Crazy Ralph! For Ebert agrees! I eventually lost all patience. The movie may have some subterranean level on which the story stands to connect and make sense, but it eluded me. The fragmented time structure is a nuisance, not a style. The house is not particularly creepy from an architectural point of view, and if it didn't have a crawl space under the eaves, the ghost would have to jump out from behind sofas. Sarah Michelle Gellar, the nominal star, has been in a share of horror movies, and all by herself could have written and directed a better one than this. As for Bill Pullman, the more I think about this opening scene, the more I think it represents his state of mind after he signed up for a movie and flew all the way to Japan and read the screenplay. Ebert was not a fan. One star. But uh, he had some good words. He did. He did. He makes some really solid points about it. And a lot of things that I pointed out just didn't really work. As much as, I mean, the thing I would have loved in this movie is a culture clash. And the movie just sidesteps that entirely. And that's not Takashi's fault. Like I said, he wrote a draft, but an American writer took over the screenwriting and basically made it an inferior version. You know, it needed a little more work in the screenplay department to be as good as the original. And it didn't get that. Mm -hmm. So this movie's not as good. I don't care for the second, which we're not reviewing. Next week, we're going to take a look at The Grudge 2020, which is not directed by uh, Takashi. It's written and directed by an American. And I hate it. <laughs> Spoiler. I, I, that's the worst movie in the franchise. We both have seen this movie, but both of us cannot remember a single thing. I was talking to a good friend of mine online, and, and we mentioned that to each other. It's like, by the way, can you name a plot point from the movie? And other than like the hand coming out of John Cho's yeah. head in the shower, because it's in all the movies, we couldn't remember a, another thing about it. I didn't even realize my girl Angela Riseborough was in it yeah. until I looked up the, the facts on the movie. I was like, oh shit, I forgot that she was in that. But, I mean, we just don't remember a thing about it. So and, it's going to suck, but we'll watch it. And then uh, we're also going to cover either Juwan Origins, the TV show, or Sadako versus Kayako, which apparently isn't that bad. Okay. So we'll pick one of those to cover, but we're definitely taking a look at the 2020 remake because I want to eviscerate that movie. Because the problems I have with this American remake are times a thousand in The Grudge 2020. Yeah. Because it's a super generic American movie with all the flavor and style that made this cool completely washed away. We'll get into it next week. We will. We will. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us, let us know how you feel about The Grudge or if you think that maybe I should be have my neck snapped and also become a, a vengeful and royal. You can let us know that at grittyrebootcast at gmail.com. That's the most 90s way to get a hold of us. Or you can simply look up Gritty Reboot at Instagram and at TikTok and uh, let me know any questions you have there. We'll answer any questions. We'll even take requests. Yeah. And I do appreciate, I've been seeing some reviews. We mm-hmm. appreciate the good reviews. Yeah, we do. Keep Thank you. Keep it up, guys. Yeah. We're going to keep doing the show until... Until you tell us to stop? Yeah. 
Or, you know, until... I don't know when we'll stop doing the show. Know. Yeah, we we're, enjoy we're, it. We're not going to run out of reboots. And we have other things that we can cover. I mean, hell, we're doing two episodes on the damn grudge. Yeah. So, it is what it is. But with that being said, next week we'll see you for Inferior Films, and we hope you still join us for as we bash those. Bye, guys. See ya.